Hello, my name is Tucker Johnson, and I am your host today as we experience NIMSY Live, where we talk about the latest and greatest in translation, localization, internationalization, culturalization, and all that fun stuff global companies need to delight their international customers, or at least not to piss them off too much. On this program, we invite guests who like to have fun and have some value to add for our audience of globalization professionals. I'm always eager to provide a platform to those with a good story or a good data set. So let us know if there are any topics you'd like covered or guests we should reach out to for future episodes. If you haven't already done so, go now's your chance. Go ahead and subscribe to Nimsy or follow Nimsy or whatever the terminology is on your platform of choice. We are live streaming on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube today. Uh, most of us are, most of you guys are joining us on LinkedIn, which is fun because you can participate in the chat, which I will bring up on screen here. So if you have any questions during today's show or comments, if you'd like to add some value yourself, go ahead and put those in the chat. We'll bring them up on screen and do our best to be getting to those as we go along. Before we get too much further today, just a plug, we've got a whole bunch of upcoming events here on NIMSY Live and other NIMSY events. We've got, does the translation industry suck at using a CRM with my friend and colleague Istvan Langel. We'll be doing that on Monday. Uh, the following day on Tuesday, June 13th, we'll be doing service provider growth strategies where we're an ongoing event with our Should I Stay or Should I Grow series. Well, we'll be talking with Adam Asnes and Todd Flaska about outsourcing and onboarding salespeople, um, ready-made growth teams. And lastly, on June 20th, we're looking at Tongue and Tech, investing in the language services industry. So if mergers and acquisitions, investments, if that's something that you've always wanted to learn more about but don't know where to start, join us on June 20th when my colleague Laszlo and my other colleague, Angela, um, Angelica, will be hosting um, Marcus from Mayfair Equity Investments. Oh, without further ado, let's get into today's topic, shall we? AI in the globalization industry is here to stay. What should language owners and personnel do? Well, when everyone else is doing it, it might be time for you to start doing it too. In this episode, Michael Klinger and Alex Yanishevsky will discuss career, jobs, and opportunities where AI and the language industry intersect. Michael has 25 years of experience in the globalization industry. He is um, a conversant in six languages, started as an interpreter and translation project manager. He established and grew the globalization staffing and localization outsourcing business at Winter Wyman Contacts, uh, which became Comsys. Alex is currently the director of AI and MT solutions at Smartling. Alex has been in the localization industry for over 20 years in a variety of roles. He has written numerous articles for industry journals such as Multilingual and presented at industry conferences such as Gala, Lokworld, and AMTA. His areas of expertise include AI, NLP, machine translation, data mining, computational linguistics, and content management and TMS and CAT tools. And gentlemen, I jumped the gun, but I, I, I've already introduced you and I want to turn it over to you. But first, I got to turn it over to my colleague from Multilingual Magazine, Eddie, who's here to tell us a little bit more because today's, today's uh, event features an article from Multilingual Magazine, I should say. So if you want to follow along at home, we're in the April issue with Phil on the cover here. And we're on page 28 and 29, I believe. The article is called AI and the Globalization Industry, written by Michael Klinger and Annette Hamera. Um, Eddie, what can you tell us about multilingual? Thank you. Thank you, Tucker. I'm 
excited about the conversation today. I also should say I don't know anything about AI, so <laughs> I'm here. I'm here to learn. Well, neither do, uh, neither do I. That's why I'm the host, and not the, the yes, panelist. We enjoy it. We enjoy it. If if you are at home, you don't have a physical magazine. You can also go to multilingual.com. Go to our archives, and you already have access to the April issue, and also the main issue. So I think very important. Uh, uh, soon we're also going to be access, going to be giving access to the June issue, and I have an announcement, Tucker, that usually it's only for our current and past advertisers and multilingual. Okay. But if you are an expert on gaming, on multimedia uh, localization, let us know. News at multilingual.com. We are closing articles for our July issue. Mm. So. Only for the audience on NIMSI Live, you have to tell us that you saw this on the NIMSI Live. So news at multilingual.com, the same place where you send press releases, completely free. So without any any more rambling from my end, uh, Tucker, thank you so much for the invitation. Very excited about learning more about AI. And uh, please go read multilingual, much more. Thank All right. You. Thank you so much, Eddie. So you heard it. You heard it from Eddie. If you have in strong opinions about games and multimedia localization and you'd like to make them known to the world, reach out to news at multilingual.com. And we're still accepting submissions for the July issue. So, all right, moving on. Michael, Alex, welcome to the show. I already introduced you. What, what did I leave out in your introductions? You, you got it all. Actually, no, there's two, two companies we work. Answer Global right. does the staffing. And we started in 2006 and we're doing more staffing in the AI space, which is kind of what predicated this the article in the first place. Oh. And then uh, language transactions, we do, do M&A, but that's not related to this conversation. Other than we get, we're helping some companies who have that kind of technology selling their business or companies looking to integrate that kind of tools for, you know, expanding their capabilities. So that's it for me. Good to have you. Per perfect for the topic today. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear about what roles you're you're staffing the most of yeah. in, in the course of the conversation. Alex. Yeah, I, I mean, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, hopefully what I can bring to the discussion, uh, some of you may know SmartLing. Uh, SmartLing is both a uh, translation management system, a platform, as well as a language services provider. So I can speak a little bit more as a practitioner who is doing deployments, looking after teams where AI is becoming a hot topic and how that's really affecting all areas of our business and the sort of folks that we would be hiring and the skill set that we'd be looking for, both on the linguist side as well as data scientists, computational linguists. It's a topical topic today because graduation just happened. So we've got a whole fresh, fresh batch of recruits for the industry out there. So one of my goals for today is to understand what do people that are getting into the industry or just want to stay relevant in the industry, I think we'll talk about towards the end, what skills beyond just your traditional language skills do we need to go over? So getting into it here, as I mentioned, we are looking at the April issue of Multilingual Magazine, where this article, the article was originally published that we'll be reviewing today. The article is called AI and the Globalization Industry, Careers and Opportunities. And oh, I've pulled some quotes here, gentlemen, from the article just to kind of structure the conversation today. Uh, first one, for the benefit of our podcast listeners, without the screen, says that we have been going through a new age version of the industrial revolution. When I read that, I said, I need to put this into, into a quote 
for the podcast because this is a bold statement. Um, how do you do you see this as a revolution? You know, let's talk about is it a revolution? Is it a disruption? Is it an iteration? And if if we see it as a revolution rather than an iteration, then make the case for that, Michael. It's your article, so I'll put you on the spot. Oh, did, did I write that? Yeah, yeah. You and Annette. Where's Annette? <laughs> she put you in the hot seat. She did. You know, I was thinking, I was playing over that in my mind this morning going, you know, um, and I'll just take take a step back for the story because it's a, it's relevant. I, I got a, a, a CEO of a small translation company called and, and we were talking. She says, I don't sleep at night. So I said, why? I said, he said, because what am I going to do? Chat GBTs. I mean, I'm staying up in that. How do I integrate all these, this new AI technology? And mm -hmm. I thought, it's like you're a two million dollar company and your contracts are with government and you barely use MT. Why are you worried about the next level? So, so um, if if fast forward, if uh, you know, it is an amazing. You know, just like when the World Wide Web came out in the '90s, it changed everything, but not right away for everybody. So even if this is the equivalent of fire. You know, and just imagine a prehistoric man had social media. The fire might be great for New England, but if you're you're down in Florida and you don't need fire that much, you don't you don't have to scramble around. So just just to caveat that it is impacting a lot of places, but more the big the big players, the Amazon, Google, yeah. Apple, and the big vendors. You yeah. know, we localize SmartLink, whatever. But um, so it can be revolutionary, but I, I don't think it's impacting people. And revolutionary is a I don't quite understand that term. Alex can chime in on that one. I think it's certainly, it's it's the biggest technology uh, since World Wide Web, I think in terms of the impact on the industry. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I would say, so I, I, I probably made so, some similar hyperbolic statements where I oh, kind of we're compared- Oh, we're all guilty it. of it, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I do think ultimately it's a revolution. I think it depends how we define the word revolution. The, the, the reason I think it's more than a disruption, and Mike, I agree with you when you're, when you're talking about kind of the impact of the World Wide Web, right? This is not, I would liken something like translation ma management systems, the idea of using translation memory, right? The idea of beginning to use machine translation in some workflows. Those were disruptions and I would call them more excused upon like localized disruptions. Mm. Um, here, what I'm seeing with AI is that this, as far as the localization industry, as far as our industry, it pretty much is affecting um, all different positions. And we're gonna talk about the, the different skill sets that need to develop. Uh, also, the reason I consider it a, a, a revolution is because it's really going beyond the localization industry, right? You've got the medical industry, the finance industry. If you basically think of anything that we're doing right now within four or five years, a lot of it will be very streamlined and we're gonna be managing by exception. And I think we'll be, we'll be doing the same thing in the, lo in the localization industry as well. That, that's why I really see it as a very, and again, I'm probably very biased here, but I see it as a very, very profound change about how we're going to interact with machines in general. Right, yeah, it, it's gonna change. The, the way I look at it is I don't think it's going to be replacing anything, but it's going to be changing things. It's going to be an evolution rather than a replacement, right? Um, but I, I agree. I mean, this is a big deal. 
and I'm the fr- I'm a cynical guy. I'm the first person to say when the new shiny object isn't. I don't think it's as shiny as everyone else does. But I, I do think this is a, a big deal with the advancements in artificial intelligence, machine learning, large language models. I, I pulled another quote from from your article just because I liked it because it's a nice succinct definition of AI. You know, AI, talking about AI has almost become a meme these days because it's all anybody wants to talk about. AI, AI, chat GPT, AI, LLM, right? And I like this definition. I'll read it for the, the benefit of our listeners. AI is the simulation of human intelligent processes by machines, especially computer systems. Specific applications of AI include expert systems, natural language processing, speech recognition, and machine vision. Machine tasks very often include intellectual processes like learning from past experiences, or machine learning, generalizing, and reasoning. You can classify artificial systems into artificial narrow intelligence, artificial general intelligence, and artificial superintelligence. And then we have this lovely graphic here, which I'm betting Michael wishes Annette was... On the, on the call to go over. So I'm going to put Alex on the spot. I'm not even sure if you've seen this graphic before. The three types of artificial intelligence. We're talking about artificial narrow intelligence, artificial general intelligence, and artificial super intelligence. Any, any um, shed some light on this for us? Yeah, let me let me take a stab at it. And I, I, I want to kind of second the, the intro that you made to this because I've I've heard folks begin to use AI as a verb. Let's let's AI that, right? Which which almost seems to indicate that, you know, some some sort of little helper is gonna come out and like start doing all the stuff for you and you really don't have to do very much. Right. And I mean, d- despite all of these grand pronouncements on AI, right? And I kind of, I, I like, Mike, how you made the comparison of, okay, it's not necessarily useful in all cases, right? Um, people in Florida don't necessarily need fire. It's already hot out hot there, right? Um, I think we're not, we're certainly not yet at the point of artificial superintelligence. We're, we're far, far from it because if you actually um, engage with chat GPT or GPT-4 and you begin to ask it questions about consciousness, ask it, ask it if it knows who it is, it, it really doesn't, right? I think we're still very, very much at stage one, right? At machine learning, at, at, at making, at, at a very narrow intelligence. And frankly, I mean, even even there, right, we can run into issues, right? Because even if you think about like Siri, Alexa, et cetera, they make mistakes. If you've played around with chat GPT a little bit, and what can be dangerous about it is that it hallucinates, right? So I just want to kind of right. throw out that caveat out there. It's it's based, it's absolutely amazing when it works well, right. but the danger is that it can give you something that's plausible, that's completely nonsensical, right? So it hallucinates and it's also built on very, very flawed and biased data. So it's not very hard to get it to start producing stuff that's very, very questionable, right? And there needs to be like a whole, we're seeing softwares now that develop to try to catch that sort of impropriety. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. is Mike. Well, I was going to move on to a comment that I saw in the comments, but did you have something to add, Michael? Well, just Tucker, one, one thing you mentioned earlier, it's not it's not replacing, but it's adjusting, you know, and I think, you know, like like Amazon Siri or Google Assistant, or, you know, Amazon's uh, Alexa and Google Siri, um, you need, uh, it's what's interesting is who writes the dialogues for that. So those are people that 
you know, compute, bilingual computation linguists who are writing the dialogue. But anytime you <laughs> you talk to a system, I remember one time accidentally I had I had the um, my uh, navigator on on and I was trying to get somewhere and it it uh, was sending me the wrong place. I started cursing and it had a response to that. It said, "Please don't use that language," or something like that. So someone has to program those those. So that's something that didn't exist before that come but but end of the day as, as alex said you can't have something without a backup intelligence human intelligence at this point yeah human in the loop is still very much necessary yeah. um alex you were mentioning about effects on quality of data garbage in garbage out all of that stuff but i had an interesting question here from the chat from whale macram says and i guess i could try to pull it up on screen here uh, then this is the question that keeps hitting my mind. How will, how will the new LLMs like ChatGPT leave their impact on the quality of, it got cut off, quality of translation, or no, the quality of MT engines? So, and this is something that's crossed my mind before as well. So let me rephrase it to a question that I would have, which is if I, I hear that one of the applications of using um, large language models is to, uh, do automatic post editing, for example. And so without that, and kind of replacing that final human in the loop. So with that in mind, is this going to have a detrimental effect on all of the trained engines that people have been working on for years and years and years? Or what is the effect going to be on that? Maybe that's a question for Alex. Um, I So right now, I still think we're in the research stages. In fact, you know, my myself, included have been actually uh, funny that you should ask that question because that that's what that's something that we've been doing for the last few weeks so i kind of see i see three applications uh relative to machine translation one is just pure generic machine translation right in the same way that you would use a google translate a DeepL, or microsoft translator you could use gpt3 GPT-3.5, GPT-4, any other LLMs that do that, like Lambda, like like Anthropic, to generate machine translation. We're still benchmarking how good it really is and can it replace Google Translate, right? Um, it's getting close. It depends on the domain. It depends on the language. Um, for example, Intento just came out with a state of the machine translation report. They have very good. Uh, they have a very good comparison of that. It's becoming very very promising. However. Um, we're still, it's not yet to the point where it can be used scalably because with open AI, you still get lots of timeouts, right? It takes a long time to return the translation. I think it'll get better. The infrastructure will be there, but we're still a little bit away from that. Um, the other two use cases are um, you can actually use these LLMs to post edit machine translation, right? And here you could do really cool things like do grammatically correct replacement of glossaries, right? So not only will it replace the term, it'll replace it with the context, with the correct gender, with the correct article. That's that's very, very promising, much better than what we're getting now. And then with respect to the quality uh, uh, that, that where the question was posed, you actually have for some of these LLMs, you can fine tune them. You could actually fine tune GPT-3 with your own data like AutoML. Again, it's an open question whether it's better yet. I think it'll get to the same level. And then I think we'll get to the question of, is it cheaper and is it as reliable? So I don't think we're there right now, not tomorrow, let's turn it on, but I think we're getting very, very close and it's gonna become more and more promising as we see more entrance into the LLM arena. 
Excellent answer. Thank you. Let's, uh, I want to turn it more towards, and this will make Michael happy, more towards the staffing and professional development side of it. I pulled out from your article some, um, just some instances of like new things that are being created, new tasks, new professions, new expertise. This is only four. There's a lot more than this, right? So, but we got multilingual data creation. We got um, applications and changing the way that things are done in the interpretation field, virtual assistants, chat GPT. And then I'm going to do an appeal to authority here, here, Alex, and bring in your colleague. Uh, Olga Baragovaya was quoted in the article, uh, who is, of course, the VP of AI and MT at Smartling. Um, so I'm I'm assuming you work very closely with her, Alex. <laughs> um, it says, I, I am often asked what I would recommend to young people who want to choose a language professional career and what skills I deem most important. To me, it is all about engaging with AI. If you want to be a translator, study NLP. Be very well-versed in comparative linguistics. Most definitely know how to both post-edit MT output and be very familiar with language models and the requirement for the underlying data sets. If you are thinking of being more on the operations side, most definitely data analysis reporting, strong understanding of how AI classification and predictions work so you can design your programs and projects taking most advantage of data analysis performed by the machine and you. Being the data, being the data analyst person making decisions based on the AI analyst. Analysis. Sorry, that was a mouthful. That was a long quote. Um, so this is Olga's advice to career seekers. I want to turn it to you, Michael, um, because you're in the trenches here. What yeah. What are you seeing? Open-ended question. Yeah, well, I mentioned a little bit earlier, Tucker, uh, to you. I, I think um, for the big players, you know, Amazon, Apple, um, Microsoft, Google, they, that they are getting very involved with AI and, you know, that thing, multilingual data creation, it's, <clears throat> you, you know, when you, uh, you educate, you go to a doctor's office to have data that you can use in a conversation to the, cl the client and the doctor and the, the patient and to, to provide that data, that's a big business and it involves, you know, people to manage the data bilingual people to curate the data, salespeople to go to clients who need the data. So a lot of the big vendors are, are, are looking for help there. Uh, and then um, a lot of the, the, the big uh, tech players are, are looking for skills in that area. But just to take a step back, it's, this, it's to demystify this a little bit. And I think if you look at the end of the article, if you're interested in AI, there's some very simple things to do, which would be to take a course, you know, uh, work with a, a component of NMT or work with, a, you know, some component in the company that you're working with NLP, but not all companies, the smaller companies are not really looking for these skills right away. It's not what we see for the smaller companies, but, um, you know, it's it's coming. So if, if this is if this interests you and you have language skills, then there's a lot of places to go. Um, but first, it's just like anything. If you're interested in, a, in becoming a whatever a weightlifter, you you start taking you do, do do training. So that's where I would go first. And um, I think in the article, Alex Alex breaks it up into you know hard skills and soft skills. If you're a programmer and you're bilingual, then 
you know, add something in computational linguistics. If you're in the language side, soft skills, learn about management, managing data, or as Olga talks about, uh, you know, post-production, um, uh, you know, learning about uh, post-editing, which a lot of translators don't want to do. I guess maybe Tucker, if I, if I could add to that and kind of second what what Michael was saying, to me, what's um, really important, the salient part of Olga's quote, is this idea of engaging with AI, right? Rather than treating it as your enemy, realizing that it, it is something that's going to change the landscape, right? So, from my perspective, when I engage with project and program managers that I find to be successful either on the client side on the, or on the LSP side, they tend to be folks who, they don't need to be formal mathematicians or statisticians, but they're people who can actually analyze, um, analyze the facts that they're getting and see how based on that they can act, right? They, they know how to manage by exception very well so they can be efficient. Right. And I find the same thing is true of translators. I think, again, to, to reiterate, AI is, I don't think AI is going to be replacing translators. I think the notion is that the tr translators are, are going to be becoming essentially analysts a bit more, right? They're going to, what's going to make them valuable is not just post editing, but actually the higher level human skills that an AI can't do, being able to analyze what the mistakes are and giving very, very relevant feedbacks to the data scientists or computational linguists who are building the models, right? So I think it's, I think in all of those, right, the common thread is the ability, and this is only that some, something that we as human beings have, the ability to analyze, synthesize, right, and make a prediction. Yeah, you got, and I pulled your, your quote up on screen here because uh, you were actually quoted in the article. So you're seeing two Alexes on screen if you're watching this live. <laughs> Uh, Alex Yanishevsky suggests you can divide the career path into hard and soft skills. If you want to enter the field and are a programmer or have strong technical skills, then get a degree in computer science with a minor in linguistics or get a degree in computational linguistics. There are programs at Harvard or MIT to get a certificate in data analytics or data scientists or d data science. And I, well, what I'm hearing both of you guys say um, and I don't have a fancy quote for it, but what I'm hearing both of you guys say is just do something, get started, like subscribe to a podcast, read some research, um, play around with it. Um, because I think sometimes when we're looking at something that we originally started this podcast by calling a revolutionary technology, it can seem often overwhelming. And we're like, well, I've already got my degree and I'm not going back to college, so there's no way I can ever be an expert in this. But the beauty of it at this stage in the, the, the hype curve or the life cycle of the technology is it's new. There are no, well, there are experts, but you know what I'm saying. Like we're all kind of on the same footing. So anybody can get in today and start playing with it and where we don't want to find ourselves, especially those, the, the younger generation that's looking to, you know, they've got 40 years of career ahead of them, unlike some of us on this call. No offense, gentlemen, but <laughs> I see some gray in our beards and hair, respectively. Um, there, there's always, you know, even, even for old fogies like us, there's no reason that why we can't be playing around with it and staying on top of that, that hype curve. It doesn't have to be intimidating. Yeah. 
No, it's, it's, it's good, Tucker. And I, I, I have another 40 years in the profession, so I'll keep Atta going. Boy. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think there, there's there's two two ways to look at this. I agree, and I agree with Alex, and I agree with Olga. It's great to get exposed to it, learn about AI, take a course. You know, <clears throat> it's it's been around. It's not like it, it just showed up yesterday. But understand, you know, uh, natural language processing and, and MT, and get get familiar with that. Take courses. But I was thinking also, you know, um, when artists, uh, when when cameras were first coming out. And it was like, oh my God, I'm an artist. It's and I create, you know, visuals. This is I'm I'm obsolete, you know. Uh, but then the, the impressionists came along, you know, because they couldn't they couldn't compete with the camera, but they could do something else. And 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 I think in the in the language field, you know, what's becoming more important now is not a straight translation with NMT and post editing, but trans creation. You know, the skills, right. I was mentioning skills that humans have. Well, you know, you can write the marketing in the U.S., but if you're going to Japan, you don't want to translate that marketing because they don't have the same values and culture. So you transcreate it. And that's a real value in the industry. So you want to go in the AI direction, fine. Or you want to go in places that AI can't go. And this um, is something I was literally just on a call an hour ago with a client, you know, big Silicon Valley type client and this is they're they're doing this like this is something that they're looking into it and you know people aren't dumping jumping headfirst into this um nor do do we at nimsy advise people to invest a lot of their r&d budget into jumping headfirst into this but what we say is play with it figure it out um and there's a lot of companies out there that are doing that currently yeah for sure um, and I think if, if I can add to that, I, I think play, play play with it. Play with it is is great advice, and certainly with the with the democratization, right, of tools like ChatGPT and Google Bard. Again, just be careful. Don't put in confidential information. Right. But it is a great. It, there's a reason why it's called a playground in ChatGPT, right? You can play around with it, give it prompts, and see how it responds, and continue refining those prompts, and that gives you good good practice too. Yep. Let's uh let's go to the comments here. Uh, I saw some stuff here. Uh, LinkedIn user, not sure why your name's not coming up, but hello, LinkedIn user, asked, could you provide insights into the potential risks and challenges that language professionals must address to establish a framework for ethical, responsible, and inclusive AI-driven localization processes? So, a framework for ethical, responsible, and inclusive AI-driven localization processes. Uh, Doug responds, Matt Barrier, the, oh, so that must be Matt. Hi, Matt. Um, there is a group, uh, there's a group in Europe that has taken this on, but I agree with you. We need an organization like Lisa to help develop that ethical framework. And this isn't my world, gentlemen. Um, what, what do you know about what groups are out there? And by groups, I don't mean like for-profit companies necessarily, but are there associations? Are there, in ch chat, in comments, please, like Doug, add your, add your two cents too. Are there um, different organizations that are taking a look at these concerns? That's that's you, Alex. I, no I was going to say we're getting off topic. Um, I, I know. Bit, um, I, right. I, I would. I know that. I know that in Europe, I I don't know the organizations, but I know that there has been an attempt to Europe. make large LLMs that are non-English biased, right? Because I mean, let's let, let's be perfectly frank about it. Open AI, right, is a Silicon Valley company, mm. right? Um, Bard, right, Lambda from Google, Bed, uh, Amazon, Bedrock, right? 
there, there's, there's an attempt that's being made in Europe to have large language models where the foundational data, the foundational model is not so heavily biased towards the English language nor U.S. culture. Fair. Yeah, fair. And Europe, as always, kind of takes the lead on such such concerns. They're not they don't have that Wild West libertarian <laughs> streak that we do here in America. Uh, lots of other comments. I'll, I'll come back to the comments, guys. Thanks for thanks for engaging. You're getting very existential over there. Um, so let's keep it light. I want to look at a few use cases of AI here that I pulled up. Bam. There it is. Oh, wait. Uh yeah, so if, by use cases, I, I should call this instead of use cases for AI, we're talking about like roles that are going to be created. Anytime you have a new technology or a way that work shifts, there's going to be a need for new roles, new skill sets. So I wanted to list these off because these come straight from the article. If you're following mm -hmm. along at home, we are on page 31 of the April edition of Multilingual Magazine. Natural language processing engineering in many different languages, AI slash ML, machine learning engineer, computer vision engineer, data engineer, software engineer, applied machine learning lead, cloud architect, AI data scientist, natural language processing, uh, senior applied scientist, human language technology, bilingual computational linguist. Michael, are these, are these like real roles or are these are these roles that just sound good in the article or are these are the type of things that you've been staffing yeah that's a that's a great question and tucker the real i don't know if i took a lie detector test i'd say half of them aren't real but that that was the nets uh, pulling that together you know the computation linguist for sure because i mentioned earlier that you know that's those are the guys that are for example the, the bilingual folks that are maybe have a phd in canada or or uh, you know hindi and then they're putting the answers in. We did some work with Google on that for uh, uh, their product. But a lot of those, Alex can talk to more than I can because I don't see, we don't see, I, I don't see, and I, I see a lot of the jobs come in. I don't see a ton of the differentiation, uh, you know, with machine learning, NLP, machine learning, you know, um, computer vision. But Alex, you can probably talk to the nuance because that's more your world. Um, I think, look, I, I think it also depends on the company where the job wreck is, because I, I see at times when AI and ML and NLP are being used synonymously, that may or may not necessarily be the case, right? I've also seen, and again, a lot of it depends on the company. At, at some companies, because this is such a new field, you'll see, for example, um, localization engineers who are beginning to kind of reorient themselves and begin to be educated kind of by the courses that, that you mentioned earlier and who are becoming computational linguists. I think certainly for the folks that are younger, because the, the major actually exists, they would come in and be a data scientist, right? Or be a computational linguist. For someone who's been in the industry a fairly long time, you can get a certification in one of the two. Um, I wanted to mention there, there is one very hot job that I'm seeing come up a lot and um, this is prompt engineering right and that's that's the idea that whenever you interface with any of these llms any of these large language models right to get the best out of them you need to prompt them appropriately right in other words there's a certain art that goes into if you want to get a better translation if you want it to be more creative if you want it to follow a particular style 
you need to understand how the machine works enough that you could give it a proper question and proper examples. So I, I, I've seen that jo job description begin to get out there. Prompt engineering, prompt engineer. Interesting. And you gave me an excellent excuse to plug nimsy.com because we have an article if you're a nimsy partner this is exclusive for nimsy partners but we have an excellent article written by my colleague nadezhda nadia um on prompt engineering a starter guide so go check that out and figure out it, it, it's fascinating and after i read i actually proofread this article i think so after i read this it completely changed my chat gpt game because i'm using it on a daily basis just for kind of just as an a Kind of, kind of, honestly, if I had to describe how I use ChatGP, it's like a coworker, like an office mate, like someone I bounce ideas off of, right? Because I ask it to give me stuff, and it it, it does so confidently, but the it's not what I need. I mean, it's not there yet, but it's able to get my brain juices flowing, so it really does help to to move me along in the creative process if I have to write something specifically. Something like that. Uh, going back to the roles. Uh, so we looked at all of those fancy sounding technical roles. I want to look at some, some other roles because people may be asking themselves, well, what if I don't want to get a master's degree in software engineering, coding, NLP, that type of stuff? What kind of soft skills? Um, Alex, you mentioned the difference between hard skills and soft skills. So let's look at some of these language technology analyst, language process analyst, machine learning supervisor, machine learning evaluator, translation quality assessor. And this is more, you know, my my cup of tea as a Luddite who's not heavily into the technical stuff. All of this stuff's going to need project managed, right? That's right? And Michael, I think a question for you would be is, okay, I don't need to be an expert. <laughs> Lord knows. Uh, I, I come from a project management background. Lord knows you don't need to be an expert in what you're managing in order to manage it as a project. But what what would you advise project managers out there? Let's say existing project managers who are already yeah. working in the industry. Um, what level of comfort, confidence, and familiarity should they have with these new technologies? Yeah, yeah again, good question, Tucker. I think, I think um, and I was thinking about that, a, a lot of times, like in this case, uh, you you get thrown in the fire. You know, I know a salesperson that would work for Lionbridge for 10 years and all of a sudden moved over to Appen. Hmm. Well, that's all that stuff's AI related. So you learn is trial by fire. You're in that space. So you understand what AI does. You understand what they do. And you see the integration and what you're really selling to the client. So you learn it by doing it. <clears throat> Same thing with the project and program manager who's exposed to data creation, supposed to data analysts, exposed to computational linguists, supposed to, you know, NLP or ML engineers, where, where you see what they're doing and you have to organize the process to get the release or to get the team together. So I see it more as a little bit a trial by fire. <clears throat> you know, personally, when we, someone comes out of uh, grad school like Monterey and they said, geez, we've I've managed projects. Or, yeah, yeah. So try managing uh -huh. a project <laughs> when someone is screaming that you you're over budget twenty five percent and they're the you know the CEO of your top account. That's so. For for me, a lot of these guys learn because they're put in with a, with an app and with the Telus with a company that's providing these services. Or or on the other side, 
they're working, they become a program manager for, uh, for Apple dealing in the AI component. Or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we have some people who are computational linguists, you know, who become AI specialists because that's the company they're working in and they, they, they morph their skills to, to match it. But I don't know if there's a course you can take per se, but the advice would be if this is of interest to you. Well, I see someone put a course, um, Great Free Learning Path on Generative AI from Google, and there's a link in the comments. So if you're over here on LinkedIn, go find that link in the comments. Um, I'm going to go back to the comments here because otherwise I'm just falling behind. People are very involved here. Um, Rachel, we're going to get to you. No, we're going to do you first, Rachel. Rachel Pierce asked, how does a veteran translator make the switch to product management in the new AI landscape? Is it all about certification? Asking for a friend. Thank you, Rachel. So, and this is, you know, this is not a new question. You know, translators have been asking this question. How do I switch from being a translator to get more into product and project management? Um, how has that shifted in recent years, months? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question because a translator... If you take it just to start, how does a translator become a project manager? Well, you, you become a language lead and then the language lead manages other translators and then they, they step up into maybe being a project manager, managing other languages. So how does a language, how does a translator become a production uh, manager? Uh, I, I don't see the, the, again, I don't see a linear path with AI. I see a translator, how do they become, you know, more expert in, uh, in dealing with AI components or post editing or learning about NLP, but how does a translator become a production manager? I'm not sure I understand the question completely. Apply for the job, Rachel. Yeah. That's, that's the first step, apply for the job. And yeah. um, that's, that's what I would always say. All they can say is say no. Um, Matt Barrier asks, let me, let me pull it up on screen here asks this is a great question with the and this is matt with with the emergence of ai and localization which traditional roles within the industry are most susceptible to displacement and what alternative career paths or areas of focus could professionals in these roles seamlessly transition to particularly for those who may not possess strong technical ask acumen i'm very mm -hmm. curious about this one this is a great question yeah it is um so who, who wants to which, take it which ones of us are the machines going to send to the, the camps first <laughs> is, <laughs> it, is the question. Go ahead, Alex. I'm talking too much. Um, I'll, 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 I'll take a, I'll take a stab at it. I mean, if we're talking about, uh, you know, someone who doesn't possess a strong technical acumen, I think it's, it, 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 it's a bit of the conversation that uh, we've recently had. I can see that, it's it's a translator who is becoming an analyst right a translator who is who is understanding that when they're translating it's not only a matter of translating correctly it's understanding how that translation is evaluated what components go into that right so things so so things like when i'm talking about you know quality estimate uh, quality right what are the major what are the minor errors right it's beginning to know a little bit about statistics understanding a little bit about productivity right and i can see how like those sorts of skills being able to um to understand even those basic statistics again you don't need to be a computational linguist but understanding how that data ultimately affects your business right and and that's something that would make you into a lead translator and something that would make a project manager 
stand out a bit more and add value rather than just the already necessary organizational skills of a project manager, right? It's kind of being able to see one step beyond and, and attach your skills to something pragmatic, something that from a business perspective adds value, if that helps. Yeah. It goes back to the old, the old story about, you know, being chased by a bear in the woods, right? You don't have to be the fastest person in the group. You just have to be a little bit faster than the, the slowest person in the group to escape the bear. That's a, tough, that's a tough analogy, but if you don't want to be getting eaten by the bear, I think that we mentioned earlier transcreation. So a translator, um, you're not going to compete with uh, AI, MMT, and you know post-editing. If you don't like doing post-editing, maybe as a translator, you work more on taking uh, not just a literal translation, but uh, transcreate it. I think that's a really big uh, field now um, because you're you, you, you're not you're not trying to compete with AI. You're giving, you're providing something that they can't, which is cultural adaptation. So, and with project and program management, same thing. Learn learning uh, as Alex said, kind of going one step further, understanding what the process is and putting it together. Um, you don't need hard skills to be a you know a trans create to do transcreation or to to do program management of, of a process that uses AI. Very good. Going back to the comments here. Uh, where's my button, Rachel? And thanks, Cheryl, for jumping in um, with uh, with advice too. You guys talk to each other as well. We don't have all the answers. You guys have answers yourselves in chat. Um, another one from Matt, no, uh, where, oh, here, Ingrid, Ingrid asks, and, you know, I've all, you know, honestly, I kind of wonder this too, because I've talked to people, I've talked to Taos, um, folks and stuff about this data creation. When we use yeah. this term data creation, can you give us, can anyone give us a, a nice solid definition? Just like we started with a solid definition of AI. Well, let me, and I don't know how solid this is, but when you, uh, what I said about multilingual data creation is, is pretty simple. It's either synthetic or organic. And, and what it means is, let's say you want to train um, a product that works in a doctor's office. <clears throat> you train it by providing data, like dialogues, like, uh, you know, I feel sick, what's wrong? It's my, it's my throat. And that information back and forth is if it's organic, meaning you, you have, uh, um, it's been recordings of actual communication with the doctor, and then you have that translated, or you can create the data, synthetic data. And that data creation is used then to uh, educate a system so that uh, you educate a system so that it can, it can recognize these questions back and forth if it's an automated system. And I, you know what, I don't know if I'm explaining this well, um, but basically, no, I think uh, no, but I think that's that, that's that's exactly it. Maybe I was going to expand on that and, and and use a similar example, right? If you're if you're talking to Siri or you're talking to Alexa, right, and you're saying, "Hey, I'd like to book a flight or I'd like to book a table," right? We're in order for that system to answer you properly, someone had to annotate data, curate it, and in the first place, create data that that would say, "Hey." I can say, I want to book a table. I want to reserve a table. I'd like to get a table, right? The system needs to see all of those variants 
in order to answer properly and and be and be able to understand oh this is the intent what they want to do is this right someone has to sit there and annotate a sentence that says in a sentence i want to book a table here is a person and here's the, what they want to do and here's what they want to accomplish right so there's a, there's a very very big business right now that has to do with that whole workflow of data creation data either data creation synthetic or taking organic data as michael said and curating it and annotating it properly so it could be categorized and ultimately be fed into these models yeah it, it is a big business and, and they buy this data companies like amazon yep. buy this data so that you have yep, you know yep. companies like appen or global me or um, e2f provide this data and to do that they need these bilingual folks to inset the data not a very high skill level it, in terms of not very glamorous work no it is the bathroom janitor of the language services industry no disrespect to anybody out there doing that work i don't, I don't mean but um yeah it's in order for this it's funny because when we think of ai we think of like new technology sexy uh, like it's all of these mysterious things but behind it there's a bunch of people chained to desks that's right. tagging images so that right. the ai can be trained on it yeah. uh matt asks and i like this question too how are we doing on time all right we got let's do one more mt comes from ai uh let me pull it up here mt comes from ai but other jeez oh, i'm sorry guys i'm not organized today mt comes from ai but other translation technologies are not that smart yet. I'm assuming we're talking about like TMSs and stuff like that. How are other low tech tools evolving with AI? And Alex, I think I'm throwing you a softball here to give us your plug for Smartling and the technology that you guys have over there. Um, well, uh, so if we're talking about other low te tech tools, right? So. Um, MT is one application of natural language processing, which is a subset of artificial intelligence, right? There's AI that can be used for computer vision, right? When you can go into something like DALI and give a description, you'll get an image, right? Um, so the way, basically, when we're talking about low lo tech tools, right, be they cat tools or be they translation management systems, they're essentially platforms right they're conduits that allow you to do something so the role of a trans i this is my my personal take on it the role of a translation management system is to be able to make connectors to an open ai to uh google lambda for example to an uh, to an amazon bedrock to take advantage of the ai components that it has right that that's one part i think the second part that look that that low tools are are working on is well because we have a workflow that's part of the translation management system how can we actually make that workflow efficient how can we manage by exception so when project managers program managers everyone who's working on the translation they're not seeing the same mistake over and over and over again right how can we have everyone manage by exception and do stuff that's interesting but I, I guess I would liken it as a very loose comparison I would liken it to what we're trying to aspire to is when a credit card company calls you and says there's been fraud right they're generally correct most of the time. If they were 90% correct, you would lose a lot of faith in them. That's the, that's ultimately what we're trying to get at. Smart resourcing, smart project management. So you'll see more and more platforms that will have those AI underpinnings beyond just machine translation. Yeah, 
Excellent. I, I lied. I, there's one more question that's a really good question from Manuela Simonetti. Uh, trans creation competes with local copy editors. Translation competes with AI. But what about the deep skills of translators that take years to develop? If we push curriculums too much towards data science and technical knowledge, are we not risking losing important skills for multilingual communication? even our capacity to evaluate AI output. And this is, this is, I mean, if you really want to go down the rabbit hole, it's, you know, okay, so AI takes humans to train. Well, if we train it too well and become reliant upon it, then there's not going to be any more smart humans to continually train the AI, right? So it kind of goes into this dystopian future very quickly. But what would you say about this? And like, where, where, where does that balance need to be? Are, are, are we telling translate, don't study translation, don't study language, just study computer science, and then we're not going to have anyone to train the AI? Who knows? You know, and she's, when I heard that, it's funny. I, uh, I lived in the West Africa, and, I, and every night I was in the Peace Corps, you'd hear drumming, and we'd go out, and then people would be dancing. I wasn't supposed to participate. And so dancing was really popular then. And then I came back 20 years later with family. I had a nonprofit there. And they don't dance there anymore because all the, they have now television sets. So they have like a few villages where they dance and everyone else just watches it. So the musicians have been faded out, faded out. It's oh, really no. kind of sad. But so is our translators going to be phased out by AI? Who the hell knows? I, I certainly don't. I'm sure someone else does. But um, uh, you know, th things could happen, you know, it, it's not, uh, it, it's, a. Uh, you know, I, I, but I don't see translators, uh, again, I think there's other skills that they will have, but could, could the AI push some of the skills out for sure? Yeah, I'd say, you know, there's always going to be a place for the translators. There's always going to be the need for the human in the loop. And I think when, when you get folks like us up here saying, if you're studying tr to be a translator or you're in the field already, and people like us are recommending, you know, to take some courses, develop some skills in technology. Like what we're saying is not necessarily if you don't do this, you're going to be destitute on the street. What we're saying is do yourself a favor because you're competing with all of your colleagues that aren't doing that. So it's just going to give you a, a, a leg up on that. Good. And with that, gentlemen, um, any closing arguments, um, closing plugs? How can people get in contact with you, and why should they get in contact with you after the after the program today? Michael, start with you. Well, I, should, I don't know. Uh, look, we, we do staffing for 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 uh, in AI, so it's more for clients and, and people. There's been a lot of layoffs recently, with a lot of uh, you know a lot of the big uh, vendors and some of the big accounts. So if, yeah. If you're if you're impacted by that, or if you're looking for work, that's why you get in contact with me. Awesome, yeah. Alex. Uh, so from from our side, I, I, I would say if you're um, if you're a linguist, uh, because we, I mean, as I said, in addition to being a platform, we also provide language service uh, language services. So if you're in the linguist, please uh, get in touch. I'll put you. Uh, I will put you in touch with our resource manager. Very good. Michael, Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show and for the engaging conversation. Chat, we got you riled up today. You've been very active. Thank you for to everybody who's participated. I'll take us home here. Uh, ladies, gentlemen, and chat, we are out of time for today. If you enjoyed the NIMSI Live experience, then join us next time on Monday when we're talking to Istvan Langel about does the translation industry suck at using a CRM? I appreciate our guests. I appreciate my colleagues here at NIMSI Insights doing all the hard work. I appreciate everybody in our industry who helps us with 
filling out those surveys and scheduling briefings with our analysts so we can include you in our published industry research. And finally, I appreciate you, the audience, who are joining us live today. All of the dialogue and chat, everybody who left comments, questions, and especially criticisms. And I look forward to next time. Cheers. Thank <laughs> you.